Are you ready to overcome the complexities and burdens that come with your success? Join the team at Centura Wealth Advisory in the Live Life Liberated podcast. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to Live Life Liberated with the team from Centura Wealth Advisory. Sean, how are you? Doing great, Eric. Thank you very much for having me. For all the listeners out there, this is Sean Clark. He's in the hot seat. You have a guest today. Who did you bring on the show, Sean? I do. I brought Mark Kenny. Uh, Mark Kenny is an advanced planner here at Centura Wealth Advisory, and I'll let Mark uh, introduce himself and go through his credentials and experience, but he's my guest here today, and we're going to be talking about real estate, 1031 transactions, and kind of a different flavor of 1031 than many of our listeners might be used to. Fantastic. I'm here to learn along with the audience. Thank you so much for coming in, Mark. All right. Well, thank you, Sean. Uh, again, my name is Mark Kenny, and I'm an advanced planner at Centura Wealth. I've been doing uh, planning for quite a few years here, going on about 30. I've got a, an MBA in finance. I'm a CPA, and I'm a certified financial planner. Probably 50% or more of my planning work has been with real estate clients, uh, doing tax planning and real estate uh, planning. Today, it's going to be kind of an interesting topic because we're going to talk about 1031s, but expanded into 1031Xs. So Sean can touch on uh, the expanded version here that we're going to we're going to introduce. Yeah. Well, thanks, Mark. So um, what we're going to be talking about is a 1031 exchange. And just to set the context for our listeners, a 1031 exchange is a tax-deferred exchange of real estate. So typically, uh, an investor has a piece of investment real estate. They've de decided to sell that for some reason, and they want to move into a new piece of investment real estate. And there's a tax-deferred process called a 1031 exchange that allows them to defer the gains there. And so real estate investors are those that typically benefit from it. And there's a lot of rules and timeline constraints that go into it. For instance, there's a identification period for replacement properties that's 45 days. You have 180 days to actually complete the transaction. You need a qualified intermediary involved. So there's all these kinds of little rules and things of that nature. But in any case, if you follow those rules and you do this the right way, then it becomes a nice way to defer taxes on investment real estate that you might otherwise pay. So for most of our investors or listeners here, I think they're familiar with how we typically utilize a 1031 exchange at Centura, and that's traditionally been done through two vehicles. So those two vehicles are what we, we refer to as GPLP real estate. That's a general partner, limited partnership real estate structure. And a second one is what's referred to as a DST, and that stands for Delaware Statutory Trust. Now, these are two vehicles for passive investment in real estate, and you can invest in all different kinds of real estate, whether it's storage or multifamily or commercial, you name it. So all different kinds of partnerships as well as DSTs, and we have investors in all, all different kinds of those. However, there's another way of investing in real estate, which is REITs or real estate investment trusts. And most of our listeners probably know that REITs do not, on their own, qualify for 1031 exchanges. However, there is an option for investors to 1031 into a publicly traded REIT, and that's really what we're here to talk about today. 
So this is a, a alternative to the traditional 1031 that most of our listeners are probably used to, but it's leveraging a REIT, which many folks may be familiar with as non-1031 eligible. So that's a little bit of an introduction to what we're going to talk about here today. And Mark, anything you'd add to that? Well, no, I, uh, I'll add to it simply that, uh, you know, you can't do a 1031 exchange into publicly traded REIT shares. So there is no direct avenue of taking your real estate and moving it into publicly traded REIT shares. That said, there are a couple of options that are perhaps a bit more complex, but they accomplish the same thing. And we'll spend some time talking about that today. First, that some of you may be familiar with or have heard the uh, the acronym, if you will, an UPREIT. And an UPREIT is an umbrella partnership REIT. When you think of a real estate investment trust, you think of these publicly traded REIT shares and an entity that sits on top of it and manages the property and makes all the decisions. In an UPREIT, that entity is a partnership, so they call it an umbrella partnership. The, uh, the, the attractiveness of the UPREIT is you can do a 1031 exchange with your property, and not just regular commercial property, but you can also use DSTs. Uh, there's a revenue ruling back in, I think, 2004 that allows um, DSTs to go directly into uh, UPREITs. So with an UPREIT, you're doing a 1031 exchange into these partnership interests, and the partnership interests get the same distributions and the same tax benefits as a 1031 exchange, except you have partnership units. Now, the attractiveness of the UPREIT is in negotiating the agreement, and there is a little bit of complexity in uh, in going into the UPREIT, but when you negotiate this agreement, you would negotiate a term typically between five and 10 years, which allows you to convert your UPREIT partnership interests into the publicly traded REIT shares. Now, the good news about that is that occurs, again, you have your you have the right to pull the string on that once you've negotiated the agreement. The bad news is when you convert your partnership interest into publicly traded REIT shares, that's a taxable event. And you might say, well, that's terrible. Well, but the beauty of it is you don't have to convert all of them. So you get to control the monetization of your interest in the partnership. So you can put 100% of your property in the UPREIT and you can decide, well, I'm going to only transfer 10% per year into the publicly traded REIT shares, which will then become taxed and I'll sell them so I can monetize my interest. When you do a 1031 exchange with a singular property with a buyer and a seller, you don't have that ability to fractionalize or control the monetization. So if you can't match up debt and, and assets and, and cash at the same time, somebody's going to get stuck with boot, which would be tax relief, debt relief. That's going to be a taxable situation. The UPREIT adds a little complexity, but it's straight IRS code section uh, 721. Uh, and you accomplish, again, the deferral. And you have this liquidity option, which is pretty attractive to many individuals. So we're we're a fan of, and I've done a number of these. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's a bit more complex, let me say this, but it's nice to be able to control the timing of your monetization. We have another, I guess I'd call it a, a, a second cousin of the UPREIT, and that's called a downreit. A downreit is kind of not the opposite of an UPREIT, but similar. It's a situation where you have a piece of property that you think is going to appreciate at a rate greater than the, the publicly traded REIT shares. 
And so you negotiate again, much like you do with the up REIT. You negotiate with the sponsors of the of the REIT into, into doing this down REIT. And it's much like in negotiating a joint venture. So you're retaining an interest in the property. It's not as if you've relinquished 100% of your interest. So you might keep 80% of your property, but you get the upside uh, that you've been able to go negotiate. So if you think this property is going to do really, really well, and you know the, the financial components of this and negotiation works, an upreit is an option. Now, you, I don't see very many upreits um, simply because there's complexity, and also people don't like the fact that uh, you know there's only a few individuals who want to take the risk, if you will, that this property is going to outperform. Most people go into REITs so they can get diversification and they can get the tax benefits and whatnot. This is almost like an investment put inside of a REIT. It does work very well. Considerations, again, are complexity, a bit more cost. You want to make sure you have appropriate legal counsel. But the merits are you get some upside. So if you've got a really stellar piece of real estate, you might be better off considering a down REIT than an up REIT. Now, what does that mean for individual investors? You get liquidity either way in these transactions. And an up REIT, pretty traditional. You simply convert your partnership interest into uh, the publicly traded REIT shares. You recognize a taxable event. You pre- decide the percentage that you want to recognize. In the down REIT, it's a completely different process, and you have to sort of negotiate this j- just joint venture split or this partnership agreement that you're in, that you're involved in. So they are a bit different. Um, Sean, if you want to okay. comment on uh, yeah, so I, I think those? just to clarify, so let's assume just kind of walk through an example or a hypothetical here. So we have a, a listener who's got a piece of investment real estate, and they would like to 1031 that property for whatever reason. And, and in doing that 1031 exchange, they're looking to pick up diversification. Uh, maybe they look to a publicly traded REIT and say, look, I can't 1031 my property directly into a publicly traded REIT. What we're talking about here is two options that sit kind of above or below the, the publicly traded REIT and allow you some flexibility to do that. So the umbrella partnership is the partnership that Mark's referring to that sits above the publicly traded REIT. And your 1031 is is happening with that umbrella partnership, correct, Mark? Yes. And it's a okay. statutory uh, the statutory piece in partnership code section. So I say and that's the piece that is negotiated with you know lawyers and all that and, and with the, the provider. And typically, Mark, you, you may want to, correct me if I'm wrong, but you may want to find a REIT that specializes or focuses on the type of property that you have or you're looking to 1031. Is that true? Well, it depends. It depends on the type and number of properties that you're considering um, in this transaction. You may be, you know, may have a, several apartments. Okay. And depending on the REIT sponsor, they may be an apartment-oriented REIT. And they would want apartments, but let's say you had a shopping center and they say, well, you know, we don't really want to add a shopping center. So you could find another REIT if you would, and you could, you know, access that through the up REIT process. Or you could go to a REIT and there are REITs that hold diversified portfolios. So they have apartments and commercial property and industrial property, et cetera. So if you're holding, if you have interest in multiple properties, you probably want to look at a sponsor of the REIT that had a diversified portfolio. So you have these choices, um, and it's up to you. It it doesn't change the structure, if you will, too much of the uh, transaction, but it allows you to either 
you know, gain diversification or gain specialization by virtue of what is the REIT's primary interest or primary holdings. Okay. And so we've identified the REIT. We enter into a negotiated agreement with the Umbrella Partnership. And then now we're in a position to choose uh, what you were referring to earlier from a liquidity or tax standpoint, how much we want to uh, redeem, if you will, into the publicly traded REIT, which becomes a taxable event, but ultimately gives us liquidity out of that investment. Is that accurate? Yes, that is how it flows. When you make that conversion, you decide the percentage of partnership units. And let's say you pick 10%, then you're going to recognize 10% of your embedded gain of your uh, 1031 deferred units. But you're going to, the other 90% is not going to be taxed and they will remain in the upread as a partnership interest. So from a, you know, from a, a planning standpoint, when we're looking at, you know, maximizing income tax brackets or uh, smoothing income tax brackets, things like that, tools like this allow us to fill up tax brackets in certain years and defer other portions to other years. So that, you know, as a planner uh, is extremely valuable from a, a portfolio management and capital gains recognition standpoint. So fantastic optionality there. Yeah, and really, each of these transactions, uh, there should be a, a qualified planner, experienced qualified planner, I might add, involved in this transaction to, to model the cash flows, to model the potential tax consequences of each of these alternatives so that you get a full picture of what are your options and what is the tax consequences, what are the tax consequences of option A, option B, uh, what's my cash flow, and then how does that fit with your individual needs or objectives? Great point, Mark. So, you know, here at Centura, that's what we do. We're kind of the architects of the plan. We draw the blueprints, we quarterback that. Um, so we can certainly help our listeners with, you know, all of those details. But Mark, let's talk about the team that's involved here. In addition to Centura or a, a planner, who else is involved in order to make this transaction work? Well, normally, of course, there would be a lawyer. The, the negotiations of the upreach and downreach get a bit complex. And so you're negotiating with a plan sponsor of the REIT and you're negotiating things like a standstill agreement. So you don't want the, you don't want the REIT to be selling your property too soon because they potentially would trigger all of the tax consequences that you're trying to defer. So you negotiate more or less a standstill agreement and those agreements can run anywhere from five to 10 years. And the sponsor then agrees that they're not going to sell your property. I mean, you wouldn't want to go into one of these transactions, incur all of the costs, and then turn around and have the REIT sponsor, you know, sell the property 30 days later and boom, you'd recognize all of the gain deferral and other benefits that you were trying to sure. accomplish. So they do get, you want to have a CPA also who's going to be opining on the tax consequences of this. And as you get into the downreach structure, it becomes a little more complex because you're negotiating this joint venture and there's a lot more give and take. In the conventional agreement, you're really just negotiating the standstill and the tax consequences, the tax period, if you will, uh, where we won't trigger a tax consequence. With the downread, it's kind of a negotiation because it's more of a joint venture and you and the read sponsor might have slightly different perspectives with respect to how much appreciation is going to occur above and beyond the rank and file public retraded shares. And if you have too much of a difference in opinion, why well, you may not be able to make a deal, but generally speaking, each party does their due diligence in advance. And so these things can go forward 
a little more slower than the than the uh, upper eats, but very efficient. So they're they're very attractive. These the the REIT is attractive, but then these options that you can access in terms of the tax deferral in a quote unquote ten thirty one exchange make it very attractive. Um, so. Absolutely. So. Thanks, Mark, for for um, providing some you know expertise and details around that. And correct me if I'm wrong. I think the down reads you mentioned their joint venture. There's obviously more complexities and things to them, but I think those are more uh, scrutinized by the IRS as well as compared to the operate. Is that correct? They are, and there's a little more legal costs involved and a little more tax costs involved. But again, we see fewer of those, but that doesn't mean they don't work. I think you probably right. have a more sophisticated investor who proceeds. Uh, with a down rate than with an up rate. Gotcha. Okay, great. So both are options. Um, you know, any of our listeners that are interested in those, we can certainly help you evaluate. You know, the optionality of them, which might make sense for you, etc. That covers a lot around the up reads and down reads that we wanted to talk about, um, specifically from an investment standpoint. Mark, I think there's some other planning considerations that we should hit on. Um, you know, you're an advanced planner. I work as the director of financial planning here. So a lot of times we look at a portfolio um, or an investment property such as this, and we we look to to do what we call balance sheet optimization or figure out you know how we can leverage this asset and um, you know maximize the value to the estate, whether that be through returns on the investment or tax savings could be income tax savings or estate tax, gift tax savings. So what flexibility comes with the upread or downread type transactions from a planning standpoint, particularly as related to um, maybe wealth transfer? Well, of course, you have uh, you know the ability to do multiple types of advanced planning. Um, you can do that with your partnership units. You can do it, obviously, with the uh, publicly traded REIT shares or the money that you would receive. You can do it with either of these uh, other options. The uh, DSTs operate a little bit differently. Sometimes you have a, a guarantee that they'll go to a REIT option or you can do the conversion into a REIT. Otherwise, it's purely up to the uh, sponsor. But from our planning perspective, we look, up, look at a broader and deeper uh, view of the client and we're trying to match up their cash flow needs, their tax, uh, their tax needs, uh, their personal financial goals, and then we're expanding it into doing uh, wealth planning and wealth transfer. What are they going to be gifting, either to family, maybe they're going to be charitable gifting, other types of uh, more strategic transactions, but we want to include those. We don't want to leave those off because oftentimes the asset bases are fairly large, and if you do nothing, as many of you may know, we're in a pretty favorable tax environment right now with, a, with an expanded exemption but as of December 31st of 2025, that exemption is going to drop about 50%. And we're going to be down from 12 million per person to 6 million per person in terms of the gifting and the potential estate tax implications. So we always want to introduce that in the planning concept and take a look. And uh, that may motivate uh, a need or a requirement for the client to uh, expand the scope of the, of the planning and the solutions that they're interested in. Great points. So I think, you know, just to, to kind of summarize here, I think the the up-reat or down-reat transaction that we're describing today really hits on two fronts. One is investments, and the second one is planning. From an investment standpoint, you're really being able, to, I think, in my opinion anyway, the, the big benefit is you're picking up liquidity. 
Um, you're also getting diversification of the assets potentially in the upreit. The downreit is less diversified, more like a joint venture. But I think in both cases, it's that liquidity that you're picking up from an investment standpoint that's extremely attractive as compared to maybe a more traditional 1031 option into a partnership or DST, tra- DST type transaction. So I think that uh, is from an investment standpoint, what's very appealing And then in addition to that, as Mark mentioned, we want to do kind of holistic planning and look at the the cash flow and goal considerations from all different sources. And when we think about it from a planning standpoint, we're going to be talking about, hey, this is going to give you some liquidity, either to mitigate liquidity risk that you have in your estate or, you know, illiquid real estate heavy type portfolios. So it's going to allow you to choose how you recognize gains when you do that, things of that nature. It's going to allow you to continue deferring taxes just like a 1031 would and potentially avoid any long-term capital gains recognition or depreciation recapture in the event of death, so long as tax laws stay the same and you get a step up in basis. So this transaction can really have powerful income tax planning considerations, just like any 1031. And then the last one, which is really, I think, a unique and and cool aspect here is the wealth transfer planning. So the ability to choose how to gift shares or uh, partial interest of of, the REITs and things like that is really something that when you compare it to owning a a partnership stake or DST stake, uh, really gives you some optionality and flexibility and some cool uh, tricks that you can do from a planning standpoint. So Mark, anything you would add to those the summary of benefits there that I just described? Other than I would comment on that, you know, don't forget about diversification because many of these options, you are able to take one piece of real estate and diversify your holdings if you're so inclined into, you know, multiple pieces of real estate. So if you've got a large piece of real estate and maybe it's weighing on you, maybe you're managing it and you want to relinquish that, uh, that those management skills, I guess, or that management timing, think about diversification diversifying your holdings. Um, So in addition to liquidity and tax benefits, diversification is an ancillary benefit, but sometimes very important. So I think that would be uh, all I'd want to add. I think we've covered this uh, pretty well. Great stuff. Well, thank you, Mark, for sharing your expertise on this. Uh, I really enjoyed diving into this topic with you and explaining to our listeners how we use it here at Centura Wealth Advisory. And thank you, Sean. I appreciate the opportunity. Sean and Mark, this has been fantastic. I love learning new things and just Mark, obviously our wealth of information. So thank you so much for being on the show. And Sean, thank you for facilitating this and bringing Mark on the show. And our last thank you, of course, goes to you listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Live Life Liberated podcast with the team from Centura Wealth Advisory. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when they come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this actually does help other people find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Centura Wealth Advisory, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Live Life Liberated podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Centura Wealth Advisory. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. 
Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Centura Wealth Advisory, Centura, is an SEC-registered investment advisor with its principal place of business in San Diego, California. Centura and its representatives are in compliance with the current registration and notice filing requirements imposed on SEC-registered investment advisors, in which Centura maintains clients. Centura may only transact business in those states in which it is notice filed or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from notice filing requirements. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Tax relief varies based on client circumstances and all clients do not achieve the same results.